Blog Talk Radio. Hey, I'm Jared Padalecki. And this is Jensen Ackles. And you're listening to Winchester Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Winchester Radio. Uh, this is our last new live podcast for 2015. Um for the last new episode of uh, Season 11 of Supernatural in 2015. Uh, we'll both be back in January with the next new episode. We'll be stuck in a, a, a short but uh, annoying hiatus, uh, and very appropriately named because we uh, meet up with Lucifer again in this episode, as has been wondered for by us and other fans for uh, you know a while now. Uh, this episode is called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's the ninth episode. It was written by Eugene Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner and directed by Robert Singer, who does get the big ones. And this is known as the mid-season finale. Definitely has a cliffhanger. Um, this one, for me, there is... I have some issues with it. Um, overall, I liked it. I have some issues with it. And like I tweeted after it, I said, but none of those issues are with um, Jared and Mark Pellegrino. Uh, Sam and Lucifer, I thought their scenes were just spectacular. Um, Ding and everything. It was just head and shoulders above everything else for me. Um, The Amara, Amara is back in this episode. She's now adult Amara. Dean has met the adult Amara now. I don't know. I don't know what to say exactly about her scenes. I mean, some things I liked and some some things I found clunky in her scenes. Like I, they felt a little bit like speed bumps. Um, I love her. I love her. <laughs> you may love her. <laughs> I don't hate her, but I just found and and I and you know what? It's not the character. And I think Emily Follow is wonderful. But it's it was just the writing is I think everybody knows I'm not a huge huge fan of this writing team though lately uh, they have been um, getting better for me I just thought some of the things she was called on to to say I was like yikes <laughs> so uh, anyway. but I thought I thought Emily did really great with what she had to work with explain <laughs> what you because I do want to discuss this I saw. Okay, first I'm going to say that <clears throat> as the requisite uh, Eugenie and Brad apologist of yes. not just on cast, but the entirety of fandom, uh, I walk alone and I get it. Um, <laughs> this, I, I much like whenever Robbie Thompson does something I do like, I have to admit it. Mm-hmm. When Buckner letting do something that is off for me, I admit that as well, because I'm not a moron. I just have a different taste than most people. Fine, who cares? Uh, well, some people care. I don't care that they care. Anyway, <laughs> this episode, the first time I watched it, I was like, uh, whatever. It held up better for me on rewatch, which is very strange. Usually things don't hold up or, or are about the same. This actually, I I enjoyed it better on rewatch. 
Hmm. That said, there are some things that I saw discussed. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't do Tumblr, but on Twitter, and I have interesting reactions to some of the stuff that was being discussed. So I'm curious for you what you felt was clunky. Um. Ah. Um, as parts in the scene with the beginning with the uh, sort of I keep wanting to call them a protest group but they aren't they're sort of they're protesting the end is near which I can't really protest against um, and <laughs> I mean, well, I yeah well that's true and and as an aside I thought the group was really not terribly enthusiastic and into their protesting, they were kind of like, and eh, eh, they kind of wave a sign once in a while. So I don't know if they were like told as a direction to kind of keep it quiet and tone down because of Amara and the and the leader, <laughs> or if they just weren't totally committed to the fact that the end is near. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, the end is near. Eh, I want a hot dog. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And it's probably near, so I don't know. <laughs> I think I left the iron on. <laughs> you know, I'll just go home. Um, and I think it also, those scenes suffered from being in the same episode against such spectacular acting and and emotion and everything with, with Mark and Jared. Um, I, I was trying to think of like a specific moment. Oh, I think one of the things was when she like smites all of the uh, people in the group and then and it comes back to her and she kind of looks at the sign that says, you know, the end is near, which I felt was kind of like clunk. <laughs> you know, yeah. I am the end is near. Yeah. Here's a sign right under me showing who I am and then she comments on it too on top of everything. It's well, like, it's like here's, I, I felt hit on that's a, a protest sign. Hmm? Yeah, that's part of why I'm asking because upon first watch I was like, Oh, Lord, the writing. And then upon second watch, and I hate to say this because on average he is one of my favorite directors, upon rewatch, everything that initially hit me as ugh, the writing, actually became a ugh, the directing thing, which breaks my heart because I do think that that Robert Singer is a very talented director, but he has some quirks in terms of directing Mm -hmm. that don't always provide the accurate gravitas for a moment. I I will agree with that because I not I, maybe maybe it's a mix of writing and directing that was bugging me because there were some directions in this episode that I loved and some and usually I again also really like Robert Singer's directing and there were some other directing choices here I was like yikes why yeah. so Which, and so then, yeah I'm going to take it back to something that we've discussed quite a bit, especially this season, but we've alluded to it for the past several seasons, is that I do think that what, I don't know what they call them in the writer's room, but what we as a fandom call the myth arc episodes, mm-hmm. really do suffer from having to put so much in to one episode after jumping from another episode. So, mm-hmm. as I said before, the formula is always one, two, three, myth arc, four, monster of the week, five, monster of the week, six, myth arc, seven, monster of the week, eight, 
Monster of the Week, Nine Myth Arc. It's mm-hmm. very, very clear. There's the and it's not necessarily based on characters. It's based on format. So versus seasons one through arguably one through five, but most definitely one through three, uh, that there wasn't a overt distinction in style. And mm-hmm. I would argue that that, that distinction didn't exist in seasons one through seven. It is very much a Jeremy Carver plan. It's something that for whatever reason he wants to do. But as a result... I think that trying to force multiple storylines and multiple characters into a specific episode and a specific beat at a specific time frame is a detriment. And I think it's also a struggle for the writers who are assigned to those particular eps. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? <clears throat> yes. Mm-hmm. So while I, li- I like Crowley, I like Rowena, it's weird to say I like Lucifer, but I was going to talk about that in another part of this because I have a lot of things to say about that. Um, so while I like the uh, secondary characters, tertiary characters, ensemble characters, whatever you want to call them, uh, I think forcing two or more into an episode constantly is just too frenetic. Mm-hmm. So I would have preferred that they, if they didn't have to go, okay, well, we're going to have to do this and this, maybe you didn't have to do the darkness part of this. Maybe you could have just done the, the Lucifer part and mm. saved the darkness part for the next episode. You know, pull it back a little and maybe weave it in a bit better, which they... And they were sort of they're sort of doing in terms of you know last week we had just my imagination, which did touch on the myth arc, but it worked in terms of not being a straight monster of the week and being more of a myth arc episode with a monster of the week because it wasn't forcing so much in mhm it was a case that wove in the myth versus this. And part of why I say I'm... Not to interrupt, but real quick, because um, our person is waiting. Um, Tracy's waiting. Another another idea posted in in DMs for you to look at while Tracy's waiting. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) A brief commercial break. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, we're like the queens of multitasking. We, we can do this. Um, speak for yourself, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, okay. <laughs> well, while you look, I'll, I'll, I've looked. Um, I will say that uh, um, we have no guests uh, tonight uh, to, to be interviewed. It's just us talking about the episode. So if there's Anybody listening who has any questions or comments or thoughts or predictions um, for the next episode, uh, please feel free to call in. Um, maybe 
maybe give us a few minutes. <laughs> but here's the call-in number uh, when you're ready. It's 347-205-9801. Am I alone? <laughs> no. <laughs> Should I start a monologue <laughs> about, about so, Sam Lucifer? Because <laughs> I could. <laughs> Um, I, I do. I have a lot of things to say about. Well, I don't know if they're going to be a lot, but they're forceful things to say about that. Um, but yeah, that's that's my thing. Is that oh, and I can say like so. One of the reasons that I tend to be like again, I, I say the lone apologist for this writing duo is that I, they didn't create this this pattern. They're not the showrunners, so they didn't create the pattern. They just have to work within the pattern. And I think when you're assigned beats that are the pivotal beats, so the pivotal beats are always episode three, episode nine and ten, and then the run between uh, 21 to 23. I think when you're assigned an episode that falls within those beats, or actually I guess 21 through 22 because Jeremy Carver does 23. So when you're doing three, nine, ten, 21 or 22, I think it's very difficult to accommodate what your showrunner wants you to squash in. Because I know that I'd be like, wait, why? Why? No. Okay, I guess, fine. But I would have... I do think that having the Amara theme, which again, like, like you said, is nothing against Emily or Jensen because they did their best. Um, it just felt displaced. It seemed like just a reason to separate the brothers, as we always have to do in the mid-seasons. Sorry, I'm typing. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry. Um, mm. I like the episode. Uh, you know how I've been really looking forward to this cage storyline for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it was everything I thought it would be. And I, I, I have to say, though, probably my most my favorite thing, I've watched it four times now. My very favorite thing in the whole entire episode is Rowena's line about chickens and trust. That just the way she says it just cracks me up every time. But yeah, Sam and Lucifer in this, you know, Amara and Dean are having some moments. But Rowena's line about trusting in chickens is the best thing in the whole thing. I, I just, I just, I've never heard, I never heard that line before, and it, it just cracked me up. I love the line. I can't remember exactly how she's what it is right now off the top of my head, but I really liked it both times that I watched the episode. <clears throat> where um, about parenting being hard, you have to know when to love your children and when to kill them. Right, that was good. That was good. I did think. I genuinely think that aside from Lucifer, but in a completely different way, Rowena got the best line in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was just great. She also it reminded me how suited is for Rowena to be Crowley's mother with that kind of mm-hmm. quick, you know, quick comments and very sharp and how wonderfully Ruthie Connell is cast as Crowley's mother to Mark Shepard's oh. 
Crowley. Yeah, and they're they're well suited. Super random because this is bugging me because like I see I've seen so many people mention this. I think they I think people forget how old Rowena actually is, but Helena Handcart is an actual real thing, y'all. Like we oh, say yeah. handbasket because we're all modern, but handcart that was one of the original ways to say it. Also, my great grandma used to say handbag. Going to hell in a mm-hmm. handbag. So it's not just one way to use an idiom. Good job, Americans. Good job. Because, uh, again, Rowena, not American, y'all. Also, <laughs> really, really old. <laughs> mm, quite quite old. Uh, it's a, it's Honestly, it's a miracle we any of us can understand her because her language yeah. is quite ancient and yeah, very she, different. <laughs> she, should, she should be completely unintelligible to us, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My other yes, thing it's is, not first time. Although I have mixed feeling about this, and it's going to depend on what they do with it. But when Lucifer says to Crowley, Crowley, my old friend, everyone is flipping out about time frames on that. I'm like, okay, so let's back up a second. First of all, <clears throat> no one's uh, – sorry, I'm sick, you guys. So if I'm like <clears> – I'm sorry. Um, but when you say my old friend, you don't always necessarily attach that to a time frame. Uh, but also – Crowley's timeline has been screwed up since season eight when Robbie decided to make Crowley and Naomi know each other in Mesopotamia. So why y'all mad now <laughs> that <this person laughs> old friend with absolutely no time frame attached to it? I'm so confused as to why everyone is upset about that. I was more annoyed at Mesopotamia because that is a fixed point in time. Hmm. Yeah, the Mesopotamia yeah. thing made no sense whatsoever. Um, and I'm going to take it a step further, even though I completely disagree with this, but I'm going to give it to you because... Uh. But we also have What's-His-Face, Crowley's son that showed up and screwed everything up, too, that we're uh, guaranteeing you now he's going to be just like Jesse the Antichrist. We're never touching that again, whatever. But... Theoretically, it, I mean, it, I mean, not, I mean, it does literally exist in canon. So theoretically, that could create an issue. <clears throat> but I don't understand why everyone's so upset about Lucifer saying "my old friend." I'm really perplexed about that. So I had no idea fandom was upset about it because I just rolled right on by. I just thought it was kind of like we're kind of like brothers in arms because you know, King of Hell, Lucifer, bad guys, evil. Blah, blah, blah. I would probably you tell know. him, you know, just your mere alkali. And he was sort of like, yeah, no, not buying yeah. it. Um, yeah. I, because, and know, whatever. I have, yeah, I have a terrible habit because I live in the mountain standard time zone. And almost every, 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 every lives in the eastern time zone. So, as a result, I do not stay off of Twitter when everyone else is watching in the eastern standard time zone. I'm all over Twitter at that point. By the time I watch a Mountain Standard Time Zone or sometimes also the next day, um, I'm so thoroughly spoiled and I'm so <laughs> aware of what everybody loves and dislikes about an episode <clears throat> that I tend to go into every episode watching those moments a little more closely than if I was just watching cold. So mm-hmm. people pick out those moments 
when I finally watched uh, later that night, I was kind of fixated for them. Um, here's a, I saw a lot of people saying, what about Michael? What about Adam? Where's Michael? Where's Adam? Uh, did we? Did the writers forget about them? I thought... No. No, no it, was in, it was not the original Cage. Yeah, yes, that was the whole... the original Cage. <laughs> that was the that whole purpose of Rowena's cell. Yeah, Rowena's mm. cell was... She transferred Lucifer from one cage to another. And... Michael, I would assume, and maybe Adam. Who knows with Adam? Um, but you know, are shut up. Are still in the original cage. <laughs> Adam died like so long ago. Whatever. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. Again, because I was spoiled, for, and everyone was flipping out. And so when I watched, I was like, No, wait, that's not the. And we've been doing this. We've been. Again, on they Twitter. Specifically, it's not, it's not they the showed it. capital C. It's, ca- it's the cage, little, little C. The, little they, C, lowercase C, And they made a point in this episode to show that it was two different cages. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they looked completely different. Now, I'll admit, yeah, and they did make it a point because it looks completely different. The interior mm-hmm. of the cage is different. So, the cage, also, the, the metal, you know, the metal for the original cage is more ornate. This one was just mm-hmm. like your regular standard cage. And it seemed more like it had stone as well. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and it wasn't suspended. Here's my This is something I have mixed feelings about, a lot of mixed feelings. I genuinely do feel... That in terms of this show, no one should play Lucifer except Mark Pellegrino or Jared Padalecki. Everybody else, get out, because no one else is going to do it well. I'm sorry. There are tons of great actors in the world. There are great actors on this show. I don't care. However, it does irk me that I there's genuinely no reason why it's Nick's vessel for Lucifer. And I know a lot of people are upset about that too, but to me, I have no issue with it. It's just like when TV I shows re- recast, the, they recast the character. Like Roseanne had two different Beckys. Bewitched had two different Darrens. You know, to me, or, it's, uh, it's or when you the same show, thing. Uh, when they did it on Family Matters where like the, the middle sister just disappeared and no one ever said anything. Exactly, exactly. It's the same <laughs> like, thing. Just suddenly there was no yeah. more middle sister. Everyone was like, okay, whatever. And yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I, again, I have this, I have this, I have this, this dichotomy of it because, like you're saying, if you're somebody who was in, like, in soap opera fandom or just watches soap operas in general, you really can't ever get mad because they recast characters all the time and you're just supposed to accept that that's the same person. Recast or and people age. die, yeah. Or people die and they come back, and you're just supposed to accept it <laughs> in, a, in, a, in, a, in a in a in a canon that is not supernatural, not preternatural in any way. It's just normal life. You're supposed to just accept that people 
died of died of cancer, then came back, then died of a gunshot wound, then came back, then died from a plane crash in Indonesia, and then came back. Okay. Uh, whatever. So I can kind of, like, hand wave it and fan wave it that he does make a point to say, like, like, I look okay now, but if I'm up there, I'm just smoke. And so I can kind of accept that within hell he can project an image, mainly because they did make it a point to say, up there, I'm just a lot of smoke. I don't think mm-hmm. that Lucifer would technically be smoke. Wouldn't he be grace? But whatever. I'll let it go. I don't, it's not worth me caring. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're not sure, so it doesn't matter. Um but I do think that in terms of being in terms of needing to use Pellegrino again, this was the best way to do it without it being overly convoluted. And sometimes you just have to accept that it is television. And I mean we're watching a show with demon hunting brothers who have died like hundreds of times. How precious can you get at this point? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and because for me, and this is one thing I was really hesitant about in terms of them bringing Lucifer back, is were they going to dilute what was given to us in Season 7 through Sam's breakdown? Because in, Sam's, in Season 7, that's not Lucifer. It's Sam's projection of Lucifer. It's from Sam's head. So everything that Lucifer is saying is things that are internal to Sam that he's filtering in this way. And so for me, there are certain things that I wholly believe are canon due to what Sam had Lucifer say to him in season seven. And whether you want to take it as a literal as a literal raping or a metaphor for rape, the 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 victimization is the same. Because at the end of the day, the entire basis of the of the vessels is a rape metaphor. It has been since season one. It's a violation. Even when you consent there is a violation, which has existed in season one, and we also explored again in season nine and have touched on at different points from then to now. And it was touched on with Ruby and everything. So I was worried that it would be diminished, and it wasn't. And it wasn't overly done either, which I also worried about. I worried about it being diminished. I worried about it being too overt because I think what made it really creepy and scary and disturbing in season seven was that it was so, it was such an innuendo and it was so, so very much that things were alluded to versus being flat out said. And that carried over to this episode. So, I hate to say that I felt better about it because that's a terrible thing to say given someone's torture. But you know what I mean. 
Mm-hmm. Completely agree. So, like, for me, for Lucifer to say, top bunk, bottom bunk, or do we share, was such a chilling line for him to yes. say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That when he said the, that, yeah. The yeah. Everything was chilling. Yeah. The flippancy in and which it, they it, write Lucifer, and they always have, and the the flippancy in which Pellegrino plays him, where it is almost, it's so terrifyingly endearing until you really listen to what he's saying. But his tone mm-hmm. and his body language is so affable. Yeah. And it's horrifying. It's utterly horrifying, as it should be. This is a horror show. It should be horrifying. And he's so casual in such simple things like, hey, roomie, and hugging mm-hmm. out. You know, it's like, Ugh. and I was actually it's creeped out watching those scenes. So, you know, I yeah, was genuinely scared and creeped out. There were moments watching mm-hmm. him where I found myself doing that thing where you kind of claw at your own throat. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's that feeling. And I thought, yeah, good job. If you can if you can weird me out, if you can disturb me, kudos because I don't disturb easily. It takes a lot to weird me out in terms of TV and movies, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I I give all the praise in the world to Jared in those scenes. Well, through the whole episode uh, with Lucifer, but especially the end when he realizes that it wasn't God at all talking to him. And he had wanted to believe, and he really had tried to get back to his faith. And he thought God was telling him how to defeat the darkness. And he'd been fooled and taken advantage of, and he was still trying to hold it together. And he was so terrified that he actually he actually cries. And and so I, broken. I, I, so this is all so broken. And I'm so brokenhearted for him. Here. Oh I, my God. I kept thinking he was so, so terrified, but yet still holding together, you know, because he's that strong. And and to, and I know that uh, Jer, both Jared and Jensen have talked about in scenes with a lot of emotion, they don't want a direction that says, I need you to cry right now. It's just let me do the scene, let me do whatever emotion comes out. I was just out. about to mention that. And, and, and so you know that when you saw Jared as Sam crying in that scene, that was something that, that Jared was genuinely feeling at that moment for his character and not like, I have to do this, I'm, I'm told to do this. No, it was coming, it was just the truth in the scene. And I, I'm like speechless. I was just so in awe, and my heart just broke for him. Ugh. What broke me even more, and this is, a, this is one of the things, is that if you take into account that this episode was filmed directly after the last episode, because they did film these episodes in order, <laughs> that this was two really heavily emotional episodes for Jared to do. And the mm-hmm. fact just my imagination and came directly to this one, and as Jared and Jensen have both often said, and it makes sense, and I know this as well, but your body doesn't know that you're that you're not in that situation. Your body just mm-hmm. so 
Not to interrupt because this is very good conversation. Check the group again. Okay. We also have a, a, a caller who's been sitting there for a while patiently <laughs> and should probably probably let them on <laughs> if if that works. Yeah. Okay. Um Hello, Carl. You're on? Hi. Thank you for being patient. We get a little carried away there talking, but thank you for holding on. Oh, no, that was quite all right. It was interesting to hear everyone's um, take on it. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Well, I I called because in listening to everyone's take, when I saw the episode, the issue I had with the episode was connection between the two stories. Mm-hmm. And because, I mean, from what the way that I see it, Amara is probably the first demons that were on Earth, especially if, as they said, darkness came first. And you have Lucifer in a cage, and you've got the demon of hell. Um, and to me, usually, as all the seasons have, kind of, certain things kind of parallel one another. And I didn't really see that in this episode. But I enjoyed a lot of it. I mean, particularly the stuff between um, Mark and uh, Jared. Um, Those scenes were really great and intense. And I thought had a lot of substance, unlike the Dean and Amara part. And that's why I called in, because I thought... as. Um, I can't. I'm not sure which one it was, but as you described it to me, I think what was lacking was just a connection in trying to get the stories to kind of parallel. I agree, and if you'll notice, I, I noticed this that we keep talking about Lucifer and Sam, and we're not really touching on DMR, and I think that's indicative of how the story, the two stories, did not really go together. That. We haven't touched on the other one too much. Right. It felt like something Hi. was missing because I thought there should be a connection between the darkness and what was going on. Like, I love the fact that they have Lucifer back. I just think it's too early to bring Lucifer back. There wasn't, there just doesn't seem to be a way to connect the two. But Supernatural is really good at eventually fitting all the pieces together. So I'm sure it'll make sense at some point. I have a theory. This is my okay. theory. Nobody likes my theories ever, and no one's <laughs> going to like this one. I'm fine with that. But I think that the reason they brought Lucifer in so early is that he's just a red herring completely. It was just the ability to have something That's really impactful. Yeah. Because I called it from... I think episode two that the visions were coming from Lucifer. Everyone's like, it's God. It's not God. Mm. Sounds wrong. Duh. Not duh that everyone's dumb. I don't mean that. I just meant duh that Supernatural's going to do that to us because they never show their hand that early. Never. To the three showrunners, that is the one consistent thing. Is they never show their hand early. Mm. So I genuinely yeah, feel I, that I agree. we are not going to see, I don't think we'll see Lucifer past episode 10. Given, given the you don't think he's going to be the reason, You don't think he's no. going to be helpful to fight the darkness. He's not the answer. Is that 
Most definitely not because, I mean, he may be able to provide them with information that they don't know because, like he said, he Mm -hmm. was there. But I don't think that as an entity, he will be key. I think he is key solely for information. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm right there with you. Today in the, I think it was my third or fourth rewatch, it hit me. It's like, no, he's, no, he's not going to be the, he's not it at all. He's, this is just the mid, you know how there's always something goes on in the mid season and then it all changes towards the end and that's Mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah, because if he is the answer, well, Amara, the darkness, the season, big, bad, everything is over. (laughs) And we'll be moving on to another big bad and another thing for the season. They don't usually do that. There's usually one overall big bad. So, yeah. And also, like you said, we talked about ages ago that it was not, that it was not God talking to Sam at all, that it was, it had to be. And I do think that that was a nice, that was a nice tie in going back to Cain saying, you know, my brother wasn't talking to God, he was talking to Lucifer, and again, it's happening, because mm-hmm. you can argue that it's redundant, but the previous canon established that Sam and Dean continue to fall into these patterns because of who they are going back so far. Mm-hmm. So, right, but does does that really make sense when the first five seasons are really about Lucifer battling um, Michael. And now that you have God in the mix with his sister, which is probably the ultimate battle that can overshadow that, why would it make sense for Lucifer to be back, for them to bring back Lucifer and Michael? Well, I don't think we're going to see Michael at all. I think this is the okay. Going back to my, my theory. Okay. If, 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 if we do see Lucifer again towards the end of the season, I think the only reason we'll see it is if you if you look back at seasons eight through now, it's kind of like Carver redoing what Kripke did in the first five seasons, but with a twist. So I could see it coming down to like we had in in season five, where it was you know the intent had been for Sam to be Lucifer's vessel and Dean to be Michael's vessel. And they were supposed to fight it out, and that was how the show was supposed to end. And then he got picked up for season six. They scrapped that idea, and we had and then we ended up with what we got with Samsung. But the original outline was different. So I could see the potential for it to be Sam as Lucifer and Dean as the darkness, as Amara, whatever. Or I could see them actually flipping it and instead of Sam being the bad side with Lucifer and Dean being the good side with Michael, I could see them doing some kind of inverse of that where Dean is on the bad side and Sam is on the good side and they have to have some kind of like equal footing. Because what Amara is proposing is anarchy. You can't have anarchy. Mm. You have to have a balance. 
which is why, like, in Western culture, we have the idea of heaven and hell. They create the balance, which is earth, which is anything if you're only thinking in, like, Western Christian ideals. But that's where mm-hmm. that mythology comes from. So having Amara be the darkness, she's not just proposing evil. She's proposing anarchy, which is sort of worse. Mm-hmm. And I always go back to what I what I always tell people when people say babies are so sweet, and I'm like, no, babies are terrible. We teach babies to be good. We teach them how to be social. We teach children, you know, no, don't bite, no, don't hit, because that's what babies do. They want something, and they hit and bite and scratch for it until we teach them not to. So do you think that's what ends up being Dean's role to Amara is her learning through him since they're so connected and as one? Quite possibly. Because what she says is, and I saw a lot of arguments about this, where people were like, why is she so obsessed with Dean? Like, okay, why is she so? Why is she such a fangirl for Dean? And I'm like, because Dean released her, Dean bore the mark. It's not Dean per se. It's what Dean did and what Dean was able to do, which was mm-hmm. bear the mark. Because what Dean says is not everyone can bear the mark. So not only did Dean bear the mark, but by by him and Sam both contributing in different ways to the mark being in the world and being dispelled. But since Dean wore the mark, Amara sees it as you release me and that's their connection. It's not like she's in love with Dean. It's not that she thinks Dean is cute. It's not that. It's that she credits him with her release. And I have no doubt and that if he, if he pisses her off at a certain point, he'll be gone too. Well, I did think it was interesting that despite him trying to kill her, and like she says, you had to know that wasn't going to work, um, when he went for, his, for the knife for her a couple of episodes ago, that brokenhearted look that Amara gives him as a teenager was really, really mm-hmm. good. And this was reminiscent of that when she tries to steal his soul. It was that, it was this look of, I don't understand. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to why she can't do it. I don't subscribe to the idea that Dean doesn't have a soul right now because... I'm not so sure it's that she couldn't do it. I'm thinking that she changed her mind. The look she gave was like... I'm not, yeah, I, I don't know. The way, the way Emily played it, it looked like, why isn't this working? So she just decided to kiss him instead? I think she was going to still sold and was like, no, uh, uh-uh. And I could see, and, and I, I see it both ways. I think I, I was thinking about whether it was that she couldn't and then, you know, subtitle of that, why couldn't she? And then, or if she decided, I don't want to force this, I want him to choose, which is very indicative, and her being God's sister, it's indicative of that ideology. God doesn't want to force you. God wants you to choose him. 
Mm-hmm. Religion is always choice. Do you walk that path? But only for Dean. Because she's not letting not. anybody else choose. She's not letting anybody else choose. She's in co- well, consuming she, food, but she thinks she's doing them a favor because they live on in her. You know, she's absolutely, she's just crazy. You know? Well, and, the, <laughs> I mean, and exactly what Lucifer said, that she was prone to tantrums. And what did she do? Yeah. She's repeatedly throwing tantrums. And she has, like, that's a consistent character trait. Tantrums. Yeah. Yeah, and she's killing do, the do I, attention. Totally and she's saying her brother is petty jealous. Yeah, am I totally on board with the whole, you know, bratty female temper tantrum thing? No, I'm not super stoked about that characterization, but it is what it is. Well, God is too. Well, God is too. Her brother is too because she says he was petty and jealous and he was bribing people to like uh, uh, his creation better. And I'm, I, I made my notes and I said it's like a, like, you know, if they did have, she says, there is no daddy. I wonder if she meant, and it just hit me and maybe not, it's like there's no daddy, but was there a mother? You know, or did God and Mara just kind of oh, spontaneously yeah, happen? Very, you know, she very specifically says very no good. daddy, but. Yeah, that is a good That point. is a good question. That is, I like that. I like where you're going with that. I like it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know thank you. you. But, <laughs> but if we look at them both as like brother and sister and kids, it's like it's like they go running to mom with a nice like popsicle stick, you know, uh, uh, create a little house, you know, from camp or something, and and you know which one did it better? If that's what it reminded me of, you know, except of course I took it, you know, that's very grand scale. I took, for, I took it for granted when she says there's no daddy. I just my brain kind of interpreted it as there's no parents because mm. I just have the idea that that God and now Mara just existed. They just popped into existence. Mm-hmm. But again, right. I'm Catholic. I'm super Catholic, so I ascribe to the ideology and, myth- and mythology that God just existed one day. There was one. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, I was raised Catholic, and, Catholic school, Catholic high school, so so yeah, it is interesting. Even if you're, and not, I, even if you're not, you know, some form of, of Christian, mm-hmm. if you just read the Bible as a storybook, well, that's the canon of the Bible. Yeah. That's yeah. what God happens. just is. Yeah, God yeah, just so, is. <laughs> because when I was a little kid, before I really understood religion, I just read the Bible as a cool book. I thought it was a cool book. I actually collect Bibles, which is kind of, I guess, maybe possibly weird. I don't know. Because uh, the weird thing is I don't go to church, but I collect Bibles, and I'm very Catholic, but I don't go to church. So, like, I'm very Catholic, but I'm a terrible Catholic. But, so, yeah, that's an interesting question. And I do, but here's what I mean when I say about, like, the characterization. Like, she's telling us that God is that way, but the show is showing us that she's that way. Mm. And so I do kind of get that, and I'm not, y'all know, you two know just from being my friends, and anybody who listens to the show knows this. I'm not someone who gets precious about things like that in terms of, like, I don't like what you're doing with a female character. I don't like what you're doing there. I'm not somebody who gets, like, their backups super easy about that. Mm. I, have a, I, I, I give a lot of leniency, but I have to admit that that gave me a twitch. It could be because I just finished watching Jessica Jones, so I'm a little, just a little on the defensive because 
about other female characters because of how well the female characters were done in Jessica Jones. That might oh, be. my God, yes. I don't know. I don't know. By the way, anybody who's watching Jessica Jones, no spoilers, but Trish is the best thing in life. That is all. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you watch Jessica Jones for no other reason, watch it for Trish. Watch it for Trish. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Jessica Jones, oh, my God. So, so good, and Trish is the best character on the And I say show. that as someone who is not a Marvel fan, as I said before on the podcast. And I mm-hmm. I told you, it's not all superhero-y, and you know me, I'm not a superhero person. I don't person. like superhero-y. I don't like superhero-y. I just don't do Marvel. I'm aware of the canon of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. I know it just from existing in the world and having friends that read Marvel comic books growing up, but I always, I always read DC. And I stuck to Batman for the most part. It's just kind of how I roll. Um, but that aside, so yes, it could be that I'm a little sensitive at the moment because of how well and how subtly that I'm rolling my eyes at myself saying this right now. That feminist message, because I don't, I don't know if that was the intent with Jessica Jones, but it ended up being that way. I don't know how intended that would be because I really went into it pretty cold um, in terms of, like, the promotion and the press around it. So, but as a result of that, watching this episode of Supernatural did give me this kind of pause in that Amara is just acting like such a textbook scorned female, not hurt person scorned female. And it's a little odd because who scorned her was her brother. Not her boyfriend, not her husband, her brother. And so it's a little strange to me and I don't understand why they're doing it other than the fact that it's, in my opinion, kind of lazy to just make a female villain very wah-ha-ha-ha-ha and over, overly sexualized. So, like, for Rowena, I think it's what works really well with Rowena is they write her as having a strong sense of self and a strong sense of her own sexuality, but she herself is not this vampy sexual entity. It's more of a self-realization that she has and a confidence that she has versus Amara who all of a sudden were like, hi, cleavage and crankiness. Wow, okay, sure. Mm. I have a little bit of my back. My back is up a little bit over that. And for me to get that way, Aiden, you really did, you really did hit something kind of, kind of icky because I don't get that way very easily. I, you just mm. have your cleavage out. I'm good with it. I do it all the time. Wow, that was so trashy. But you know what I mean. Mhm. Yeah, usually and I don't. Thing. I'm like you. I'm like we don't. I don't get too terribly concerned or focused on the, the women versus men or feminist issues in here. I'm like kind of like up, up whatever. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, Mars a little bit different. You know, it's like a little bit. And especially because on, I think. I think they did such a good job 
with the previous incarnations of Amara, like even with the last teenager we had, the oldest teenager, Amara, mm-hmm. she played it as a bit of an attraction to Dean in that way, but it was creepy and it was supposed to be creepy. Mm-hmm. This come across as creepy to me. I don't, and I don't know whether that's due to writing, acting, directing, or all of the above, or some combination. I don't know. But I do feel like the creepiness factor of the way she was portrayed in terms of that connection to Dean went away. And I'm I'm disheartened about that because it could have been really creepy because the whole point is she's able to mess with his mind. So... I think they missed an opportunity to make her really like, a bit like Lucifer, where it's disturbing and creepy versus mm. yeah. sort of versus it being more like ethereal. I don't like the etherealness of it. Yeah. Hey, I, yeah. I don't know. Might be the writing. Uh, I personally really liked Amara and I liked her uh Emily's characterization of her. I I like that, you know, she is a little bratty and I think it's because look how fast she's grown up. You know, she's not really had much experience with the world. You know, she's just been around, you know, with in our world for a very short time. And I uh, to me, it, it made sense, and I, you know, I think she's pretty cool. And using in there, I know cool, but I thought she was, and I, I, I thought she and Dean had some really great chemistry, and I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really enjoying her storyline. I'm not. Hmm. I think about the word. I'm not disenjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not enjoying it. Uh, Yeah, I'm not disenjoying it, but um, I I do feel like there was a shift, and I don't quite understand what. And I mean a shift from not just Emily's portrayal, because I think there was a shift from the portrayal in episode one played by Emily, versus this episode, still played by Emily. Um, So I I don't... I want more explanation for it, I should say. That's why I can't say I'm disenjoying it. I just don't quite understand it. I think that the way... the interaction between Amara and Dean, and obviously, like, Emily and Jensen, I think the characters and the actors interact really well with each other. I just feel like there was a storytelling shift in the mm. tone of the story. And I don't know why the tone was a shift. So I think the actors and the characters are still doing a great job, but I don't. I just feel like the tone shifted, and I don't quite know why. But I just don't feel as bothered by Amara as I did in earlier episodes, like I say, there was still that that chemistry and attraction 
in terms of characters with teenage Amara. But there was a creepiness that I just didn't get from this 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 episode. I did not get creepiness out of them. Hmm. And I feel what like you think in when the she same was... episode where where Lucifer was so unbelievably creepy, it's strange to me. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know how to quite explain it, but you know, when she says things like to Dean, you know, uh, you know, we'll we'll become one will be bonded. It's like it, to me. It's like 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 the words, <laughs> or maybe in different hands, it would have it would have been creepier. But it was almost a little bit. I'm romance Yeah, no, I'm gonna actually quote, which I quote a lot, and nobody cares that I quote it. Is the Buffy movie, and when Lothos tells Buffy you and I are one, and she goes, one what, cute couple? I don't think so. That's all I could hear in my head was more of that line. I wanted to be be like, what, cute couple? I don't think so. And that was the actual, like, that was the tone of it because that's what she's implying. And he's like, yeah, no, I would actually rather stab you, which is what Buffy does. She stakes logos. Hey, I'll uh, compare that to Lucifer saying, want to stay? years ago, Buffy wins. Well, uh, <laughs> well, compare that to Lucifer saying, want to share? Where you were totally right. creeped out and terrified. And they're kind of saying the same thing. Yes, yeah, very question. <laughs> question for you on that, because I'm still on. <laughs> yeah, we know um, <laughs> <are> you're here. <laughs> Just in. Just in. Maybe yeah, yeah, pop in. Okay. Could they be one because the mark has never has really left Dean, and they're sharing the mark? I mean, yeah, it's visibly off his arm, but who's to say the spell completely worked? I mean, could he still be part demon inside and part mark inside, but dormant inside, and she now has the uh, the role like a ghost of, of image. the mark, right? Like a ghost in of the mark. Because that's what I thought kind of when it happened, that I never really felt like the mark totally left him when she showed up. I felt they were connected through the mark, which meant it still had to be part of him, which would mean, just like King said, there's no removing of the mark. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm curious as to what they're going, how they're going to explain about her not sucking his soul. Is it that she chose not to? Is it that she can't? And again, if she can't, why can't she? Is it because he still bears part of the mark? Is he missing part of his soul? I don't feel like he's missing his soul because he doesn't act like he's missing his soul. See, like, I love that part of the show. Um, It was one of my favorites because I felt that she couldn't steal something that she was already connected to. And that's why and that's why I felt that they were sharing the mark even more. Because she could it to me it looked like she tried to take it, but she couldn't. That's quite interesting. I hadn't thought of that. As I said, I'm interested to see how they explain just her in general a bit more in depth because 
I think in terms of, like, the way that fandom is trying to put the puzzle together, we did a very simplistic idea early going, well, she's the darkness and Lucifer means Lightbringer, and so, duh. But the reason I say, obviously, Lucifer is a red herring because, one, we're seeing him so early, and, two, you have to kind of go, okay, yes, Lightbringer, but also Prince of Darkness. He's sort of a middle ground. How is he, you know? I mean, for me, the only thing I can think of Lucifer's role will end up being is him trying to take over the darkness, to be in total control, because that's what he wanted to begin with, was Mm -hmm. to, to take everything away, and he would be the god and the one in charge, and Amara comes before him. She she was, so to speak, alive before him because, according to the show, the darkness came first, then came the light. Therefore, she existed, then came God. And then either God didn't like where she was headed or he felt he needed to take control and, therefore, um, she got banished just like, and I hate to say this word, but just like the Leviathans got shipped to somewhere else. That's why when I first saw the cage and I saw that Sam was having, um, he was seeing the cage, I thought possibly it was him seeing where Amara was. Um, So I don't know if that makes any sense, but. (laughs) No, it does. One thing I will give the show is no matter how you feel about this episode, which everyone seems fairly divided about it, um, mm-hmm. and vehemently divided about it, um, you have to admit that it's clearly not clear what they're going <laughs> to do. We'll have to we'll have to figure it out. Um, I don't know. I, I'm hesitant to put this theory out there, although I'm not the only one with this theory, because, again, I have a lot of reservations about this potentially happening, and I'll explain why if anyone cares. But I would not be surprised if we see God, like literally see Rob Benedict as Chuck, as God, by the end of this season. That's what I think is definitely going to happen. Rob, for sure. My problem with that is, and the reason I think we'll see it is because what, what, when I say that Jeremy Carver has been redoing Eric Kripke's arc it's that he has taken everything that was metaphorical and made it concrete so we never saw a hellhound before now we've seen a hellhound we've never seen uh, the cage before now we actually see the cage Uh, all those different things which I will and I've said before I don't like that because I do agree with Kripke in that you're never going to... The scariest thing about the monster under the bed is that you cannot see the monster under the bed. And, God, I can't remember. There's a movie I watched not too long ago that was really, really oddly very parallel to Sam and Dean, but it was about the monster under the bed, essentially, and it was super creepy until they went underneath the bed to vanquish the monster, and you saw the monster, and I was like, oh, well, that's lame. 
because it's always scarier when you can't see it. And it's also always going to be scarier when fandom does it, when fandom draws it or writes it. It's going to be scarier because fandom doesn't have a budget or rating restriction. They don't have to comply with standards and practice, and they don't have a budget that they have to work within, and they don't have to work within someone's availability or VFX capabilities. So we're always going to do it better. And again, it's still, most of the time in fandom, it's writing. So again, you're still leaving it to your reader to visualize what scares them. So I'm hesitant that they're going to bring God in because I'm almost positive they're going to do it. And this is my other thing. And as I say this, I feel like a terrible person. Don't think that I don't because sometimes I do feel like a terrible person. Um, I love Rob Benedict and I love Chuck but the characterization of Chuck versus the characterization of Amara I cannot see the gravitas being done justice I just can't picture it it's uh, it, here, here think about it this way though we've only seen Chuck we haven't seen Rob Benedict actually as God. God. We've only seen him in the Chuck personification. I'm basing that that on Rob Benedict, having seen Rob Benedict in multiple roles. I don't, I can't picture it. I genuinely cannot picture it. He does play a lot of, he plays a lot of the nerdy roles, you know, that's for sure. But I think, I think he could possibly pull it off. I, you know, I think that, well, I hope you're right. Let's be real. It's going to happen. Yeah. And I really want to see it, too. So. Oh, bless I think he can. I think he's got a lot of... I mean, many things it's can happen to him in real life that he could actually draw on. Yeah, it's not to say that I think Rob Benedict is untalented, because far from it. I think he's very talented, and I again, I really enjoy Chuck. But... What we've seen of Chuck is an allegory for the writer in that God is the writer of the universe. So I'm hesitant is all I'm saying. But then I could be wrong and they're not going to bring God in and then I'm just going to have to eat my words later. Whatever. Oh, I I think there's, the there's no way that... I don't think there's any way they can not bring God in. I think they have to. Well, and again, I was thinking about this today. It, you you could pull, it, it, you would have to pull like a Buffy. Season five, they had a hell god. Where do you go from fighting a god? What is the next season? It was three nerds, and that they turned out to be the worst enemy that they fought with. You know, those three nerds oh. were able to, you know, kill some, you know, one, you know, kill them and put put one of them in the hospital, and so. Well, I don't disagree that despite the extreme issues I have with season six of Buffy, in that by issues I mean I hate that season so very much. Um, I it has one good episode. episode. <laughs> that is exactly the way I feel. It had one good episode. And Which season? Thankfully, season six. Thankfully, you can pull that episode out and watch it on its own as long as you know the first five seasons of the show. Thankfully. Um, 
it, I find it so strange that the, one of the best episodes of Buffy ever is in the worst season of Buffy ever. If nobody has watched Buffy, I would imagine that Susan also means what I mean, which is once more we're feeling. Hmm. But that's uh, there's, it. there's a few other episodes in it that I like. You're wrong, so. and that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> season six is terrible. It, it has good moments. It does not have any good episodes. Except one's more feeling. I'm sorry. Whatever, just, but go on. I tell you would have that conversation. We will never have that conversation. Mm. Uh, remember that time we had to go to our quarters in Vancouver? We would have to go to our quarters. I do. Uh, I do. Good time. So, good time. <laughs> but, um, oh, dear. So I, I, I could see that, net, you know, because... I'm 99% sure there will be a season 12 of Supernatural. I'd be very shocked if there isn't. It would literally knock me over a feather, with a feather if we don't get a season 12. But um, I do feel like the detriment of doing really big things is you do that, get that whole where do we go from here thing. So I would like to see a truly scary human bad guy on Supernatural with a with an arc. I mean, we've seen terrible humans before, but never with an arc that where they remained mm. human. The closest I would guess would be Gordon, but he didn't remain human, so. Mm. Okay, kind of, um, I don't know. I, I'm wary of seeing Chuck go up against Amara. I don't know how I feel about the the, the potential of that. No. I mean, we'll I guess see. we'll find out because yeah, again, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a good shot at it, but we'll 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 see. Only God could be the big bad for next season. <laughs> you know, the ultimate good. It turning out to be like an ultimate bad. I mean, just the fact that he's not around, supposedly not answering, or, or whatever, is kind of kind of being a bad guy. Um, well, and I was curious. I want to know what you guys think. That one, I don't quite understand what Amara wants him for. Like, does she want a brother sister's showdown? Does she want to talk? Is she sad? Is she mad? I'm not sure. Um, and mm. at the end of this episode, the skies opened up and took her. I don't see how yeah. that could be anybody but God that did that. Yeah, that was so, my big question. Like, yeah, again, that takes us that. to a that takes us to a midpoint of where do we go from here? Like, you know, I am again completely mistaken. Of, I, I must be very con- confused because I thought when, when like the skies opened and it took Amara, wasn't that part of the threat from the angel group where it said we'll all come down? Yeah, which I thought was weird. Uh, yeah, I, I okay. I thought it was weird that and, exactly what they threatened, which you made it, they made it seem like when Amara took them out, that kind of yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't be able to do it. It's exactly what they did. Is it because they all amassed their power, or is it because it caught her off guard, or was it God? I yeah. 
Were they like the little league group that was the distraction while the rest of the giant angel army came together and just waited to pull off their plan? Because they seemed sort of dorky and dopey and like cannon fodder to me, that little group of angels. And and I, I honestly put this roses down in my notes because we've talked about mostly the angels not being particularly memorable. I mean, we've had a couple pretty good ones lately. Like we liked Hannah, but it's, we talked about they don't go back to the most the, the glory days of Zachariah and, and Uriel and all that. And I actually put in my notes, I I think I think Cass killed all the smart ones. I actually wrote that down because you know there was a point where he was killing off angels right and left, all his brothers. I think he killed off all those smart and good angels, and that's why they have these dorky meetings and decide to do these plans. And I'm sorry. <laughs> But I, I actually like the angels in Supernatural, but I just thought, you know, I think Cass killed all the smart ones. But just my opinion. I was pre- I, I was under the impression that he had actually killed all of them at one point. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> smarter, smarter, dumb than he just baby. Yeah, all. but you know, what even is canon? Mm. Uh, which. Hmm. We'll get to that later. Um, hmm? I'll get to that later. I may not get to it at all. I have to see huh, if I want to even go there. Um, I don't know. I just feel like Amara is a big, big question mark at this point. And I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. Hmm. I feel like at this point we should have a at least some form of idea of what she is. Because, again, she's still not technically evil. Not in any way that you could say that, that God is evil either because so, and they do the I same thing with different approaches. With what, that goes along with what Jensen and Jared have said in recent interviews, that you know she's not necessarily evil. question though on the show she disappears and she disappears before Sam goes into the cage like I I never understood how Lucifer could have the power to take away the I guess the holy fire that's around I mean the fire that's around it do you want to know my theory on that one yeah Hmm. I think (laughs) Rowena did it. Rowena said it that way to where Lucifer could do it. Because oh. that's what I thought. She is I thought cle- they were in it together. She, she is that clearly a fan girl. She is clearly a Lucifer fan girl. Oh yeah. I thought that's why she was so excited to find out they actually wanted to to do a do a spell and and talk to Lucifer. I think she thought, and now's my chance. You know, he's going to be the ultimate. Uh, ally, you know, like, like you said, like a fangirl, she was glad to meet him, and I thought, because she so calmly says to Crowley, you know, like, like watch and see, and when the when the flames went down, because Crowley was, was shocked as well, and I think, I agree with, with Becky, I think she had, she totally built that into the spell and totally planned it, and she's, and she makes a remark, I can't remember the exact words about a deal, so maybe she made a deal with Lucifer? 
or hopes to make it some kind of deal? I, like I, I agree. I thought it was something that Rowena purposely messed up because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's even if Ruth hadn't done the interviews right before the episode, that if you read them, you knew that she was going to do the whole Lucifer fangirl thing. I think... I mean, it was obvious in canon, which I have to say, when the inter- when I read the interviews, I was a little wary, but it was actually written and played quite well. I thought she was going to be, mm. like, way more over the top about it, and I thought it was it was done quite well. Because um, I love when she says he's such an alpha, but he's probably not relationship material. <laughs> I actually missed that. But I mm. felt like it was, you know, the minute they tell her it's Lucifer, she's so quick to go, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And then mm. she's looking and looking and looking, and then all of a sudden I know how to do it, and I it has to be now or never, now or never. And I think that was purposeful for her that she took the opportunity of taking the chance when Sam could not get a hold of Dean. Yeah, and she was pushing because Sam because to like, come on, we have to do it. She doesn't want Dean there. Yeah, exactly. Because as everybody knows, including Sam and Dean, they're only weak when you separate them. Mm. And I don't mean that literally weak. I mean they create a, a very a very a very concrete balance together. But when you remove one, whether literally physically or emotionally, that safety net that half of a that other half of their heart, soul and mind isn't there. So Sam's going to do what he thinks he should do, and he doesn't have Dean going, whoa, 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 whoa. And vice versa, when Dean ran off to get the mark, he didn't have Sam going, you're being stupid, don't do this. Mm. Because, you know, they don't have the other half of their, essentially the other half of their conscience. So, and I think, you know, it's, I think it's, naive to act like every other character in the you know in the supernatural universe doesn't know that as well. They all know. Rowena knows. <laughs> now if if Sam lets loose or not even lets, but if Lucifer ends up in Sam, I'm gonna be a little weirded out of Rowena Sam rolling over Lucifer as Sam. Or Sam as Lucifer. Mm. Lucifer. That's going to wig me out just a touch. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> just a touch. Mm. It's going to be... It, yeah, just a little bit. I meant to mention earlier when we were talking about how it wasn't really a surprise to us we'd been talking about it, that it was Lucifer and not God talking to um, Sam. My, I have a, I have a friend who's a very Spanish friend, you know, from way back. She's a big X Files fan and and all that kind of stuff. And she watches Supernatural, and you know, follows some things on on Twitter or whatever. And um, she told me that she she knew it couldn't be God talking to Sam, but she didn't see Lucifer coming. She said it came out of left field, and she didn't even think it. And I think you know, you've talked about how supernatural fans are such a, for the most part, like a, there's like a core group that that remembers and 
follows continuity and characters and things that you it's hard to surprise. It's like when they thought it was such a big surprise that Dean was going to become a demon and Adam <laughs> said, Oh well of course we knew he was going to be a demon but sort of like the outside as you kind of spread the viewers ship outward, it was a big surprise and and mm-hmm. I was just saying, you know, she is a fanish person and she does watch with that kind of eye and it was a surprise to her that it was Lucifer. Well that was interesting. I always think that's interesting because exactly what you're saying when Jensen did the, it's going to be a real eye-opener, and we all went, oh, Jensen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. Or, you know, even if you don't take it into that, I mean, it's it's sort of difficult to be entrenched in this fandom and not not know because okay, so say you were avoiding spoilers and you weren't expecting Lucifer, but then you're in fandom and think the last con or two cons ago, both Jared and Jensen spoiled that that Mark Pellegrino had been filming. Okay, great. Okay, say you also missed that. All right. But then this official CW Supernatural account tweeted about it. So even if you avoided the problem, and I have a, I have a friend who this happened to. She has been avoiding spoilers. She muted everybody who talks about spoilers on her timeline. She's also a nurse, so she's hardly around. She avoided the Oh, promo. I saw that. Yeah, I was really surprised. Yeah. <laughs> she avoided the promo after last week's episode. But she follows the official Supernatural account, and they retweeted the screenshot of Lucifer, and they spoiled it. She was like, are you kidding me? Like, so it's really difficult. But, again, if you take all that out, it's not like Jared and Jensen and both Marks and Ruth it's not like they're sitting there going, I wonder what the Supernatural account tweeted. I bet they spoiled it. So they don't know that the, that the account spoiled it. So they're thinking, like, how surprised were you? And we're like, oh, not at all. Thanks. But, you know, it's cute that you're excited. And I think that sucks for the actors and the writers. I have to admit, I do think that sucks. As someone who's a spoiler junkie, I'm okay with it. But for people who are spoiler phones, or the the creative people behind what's going on, I can see where you'd be like, are you serious? Really? We were so stoked, and you just, okay, thanks. I don't know. I, I do wish that the promotion for the show was a little more discreet. I get that you want mm-hmm. people to watch. You're going to show your hand. But... I do. I do wish that there was. I wish, and I say this as someone who actively seeks out spoilers. I wish the promotion was more discreet, though, which I understand is hypocritical. But okay, I do have to say something, and this is something I've waffled about whether I was going to say or not. Because I feel very strongly about it. I'm going to preface this by saying I feel really strongly about it. Okay, I'm I'm buckling in. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) 
I saw a discussion about how appalling the consent issue is between Amara and Dean. And then I saw a discussion where it was, you know, the fact that she can mind control him or the fact that she was recently underage, which and I can argue that Dean is sort of underage for her, but, you know, semantics, whatever. And then I see this complete disconnect where people are not acknowledging the consent issues that we discussed previously with Lucifer and Sam. And no matter how you want to establish that boundary, the fact is that there is a consent issue and an abuse issue and a trauma issue involved. And for people to kind of harp on one and disregard the other is something that I find not just disturbing, but actually quite disgusting. And and then so I, I there's an the, actual issue with the Sam and Lucifer one, and there's not really an issue with the other one. Correct. And you could argue that there is a bit of an issue with Dean because Amara clearly messes with his head in a way that he can't easily overcome. He has to really focus to overcome it. Um, because I saw people talking about, like, I can't believe that Dean ignored Sam's phone call. I'm like, he didn't ignore it of his own volition, though. Like, you can see in the way that the director and the way Jensen hesitated that he was going to accept the call and Amara fogs him over. But, so you can argue that there's a consent issue there as well. But my problem is that you can't argue for one and then turn around and say that Sam and Lucifer are cute, that it's adorable, that, that Lucifer's so so adorable. Well, if I like people are saying I'm that... Going to, I'm going to vomit all over the Internet, and I don't care. There are people saying that that is cute and adorable, Lucifer and Sam? Or that, or that it was the funniest, you know, that Lucifer's just so funny. Oh, my God, that is... Oh. And I find that a horrific I do commentary on, is, on yeah. fandom of the show. Because, again, if you, mm. want to believe that, if you want to believe whatever extent you want to take regarding Lucifer's torture and abuse of Sam, and, again, I will always say that until they show it, not literally, but it's always scarier in your head. So you can take Lucifer's innuendo, filter through Sam and uh, directly through Lucifer. You can apply it however you want to apply it. But I think to disregard that it's a deep torture, trauma, and abuse, and then turn around and scream to high heaven about how Dean is a pedophile and Amara the rapist, I just, what do they say? I literally want to reach through my screen and shake people, and I know that some of you listen to our show. So in this instance, yes, I am talking directly to you. You know who you are, and I think you're an appalling, disgusting individual. You're gross. What, is, <laughs> what do they think went on? What do they think went on with Lucifer and Sam and Hell? It doesn't matter because the worst part is, oh my God, Amara kissed Dean, and that's how dare she kiss Dean. A grown woman kissed a grown man. That's and again, okay. I'm not even going to dispute that. 
dispute that there's a consent issue there. There is a consent issue there. However, there is also a consent issue with Lucifer and Sam. And if you're not going to acknowledge that as well, then I know exactly what your problem is, and you're a disgusting person. Actually, you're disgusting people. We all know who you are. That's really awful. I was appalled, and I didn't even read it. I was told, I was sent uh, excerpts. I'm glad I haven't because, even heard about it, because... Yeah, I was yeah. sent excerpts. No, I haven't heard. You couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to read that drivel. However, it is, in fact, drivel. And I try to be really not as much of a, an, a jerk as I'm being right now, and I try to not be as direct as I'm being right now, but you're gross. There's no other way to say it. You're disgusting. You're appalling, disgusting people. That is all. And I really pondered whether I was going to even say anything, but because we did discuss how creepy Lucifer is, and I think one Mm. of the things that makes Lucifer so terrifying is how subtle the creepiness is, and like I said before, how flippant he is about it and how affable he attempts to be, I think if you don't understand that, you're being willfully and detrimentally ignorant. And if you're someone who's constantly screaming about consent issues within the show, but you're hand-waving that as funny or, in fact, deserved, because I'm also seeing people saying Sam got, Sam's getting what he deserved for running off without Dean. And it literally, what? again, Wait, I said, but what? it doesn't... What? Yes, but Sam, Sam's getting what he deserved because he should have waited for Dean. That's what he gets for not listening to Dean. Wait. Oh, oh no. 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 And I have to say, you know. I can't be much more coherent for, for, than that. It's like, no, 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 no. Stop yeah. that. I have to say <laughs> that for personal, for personal reasons, that is something that really, really disturbs me because it tells me that you have, and you're lucky. You're extremely lucky because it tells me that you have no true experience with real abuse. And you're lucky. But not all of us are Mm. lucky. Mm. Sam, getting what he deserves because he ran off. I'm going to gently gently place my microphone on the floor after that, and that's the last I'm going to talk about it. Okay. Well, I can say another one of my favorite funny lines. Yes, thank you. This is a good. This is a good time. It's Rowena, and when she says, she says, "Well, I promised Lincoln a fun night at the theater, but things change." (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that just cracked me up. Oh my. Well, and she's so casual. Well, promised Lincoln a fun night at the theater, but things change. <laughs> Made me laugh. I know one of my other funny favorite funny lines is Crowley when he finds out God is a sister and he said he has relatives. Yeah, that made me what that made me think that made me start thinking about, you know, God, you know, having family reunions, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> T-shirts, you know, the God family, you know. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. The crazy uncle. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's funny. I, yeah. I, oh, I genuinely think, aside from Lucifer, Rowena got the best lines. Mm-hmm. Every delivery of those yeah. lines is always. Yes. Was funny. And her she eye makeup, really gorgeous as always. Her eye makeup was gorgeous as always. always. That's Sabrina. Beautiful. Yes. Yep. And I love Sam's black and red plaid shirt. <laughs> Actually, maybe not. I thought, and I, I thought that was a really good wardrobe considering they went to hell. It was <laughs> nice without being overly overt. Overly overt. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> oh, what about the what about the special effects of showing Lucifer in the cage with the red eyes? That was different. That was cool. And and yeah. when I saw people talking about it before I watched, I was like, oh, red eyes, really? But no, it was really cool. I it was to really say, though, cool. To be honest, the musical cues were a bit cringy for me. At the mm-hmm. end, they were better, but the one where uh, Rowena, Crowley, and Sam are actually walking the hallways of hell. Oh, that musical cue was really bad. Really bad. <laughs> it was just a little too I honestly, I honestly don't remember any of the music. So usually I remember very specifically, and I honestly don't remember any, so that probably says a lot this right is- there. There's a very swelling chorale that reminded me a little bit of the Carmina Barana, you know, and 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 um, I, yeah, it's like so, they were some some of it was like a little too much for me, and then sometimes sometimes it was it was pretty good. I thought the visual effects of that were really great. Um, I liked all those clouds and swirling and. Hell. Did you see um, Jim Michael's tweet where he said there were more special effects in that episode than all of season one? No, I, I didn't did that. see that. Holy cow. That was wild. Well, I mean, if you think about it, there was all the effect on the Dean and Amara scenes her teleporting him, the knife, the cage, the eyes. Mm. Yeah. And that's just what I can think of off the top of my head. And as we've learned, there's a lot of things that are VFX that we don't even realize are VFX. Right. Um, right. Yes. But shows are always the best ones. Yes. You don't even know it. Because I will say that the fire was very obviously VFX fire. Not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it was very obviously VFX fire. Hmm. I get what it. did you say, Mr. If Best you can put fire, why light a fire? It's dangerous. I get it. Which <laughs> I always... Your favorite um, my favorite effect? Yeah. Did, did you say... Oh. I, I, I thought you said that. Oh, and no. I part I wanted to know. Oh. Oh no! That I, I, what I was going to say was, um, I think it was when Ivan was on our podcast, Ivan Hayden, um, talking about a special effects that you don't know are special effects, and he was telling us about um, the episode where um, 
Sam is detoxing in uh, the panic room, that that scene uh, where Sam looks down at his hands and sees the veins on his hands, telling us that that was none of that was real, that it was all computer generated. That just blew my mind. That was one of those mm-hmm. scenes that you know are VFX. You don't even know it. That uh, I still think is freaking mm. amazing. I have to say, and going back to it was Ivan that showed us this. Uh, one of those ones where you're like, I can't, I would have never thought to even think that that was VFX. Is in Lazarus Rising that the trees are VFX when being dipped yeah. out? That they had to take out like, but there was like visible crew. There was like not complete trees there, and like. Most of the trees in that scene, that that moment are VFX. And I was like, what So amazing. We have such a VFX scene. And that was, you know, both those instances we're talking about were half a series ago. So who knows what we don't catch now. Right, right. I forget. He no longer works for the visual effects, but uh, Werner had posted... Um, a Vimeo, like last season or the season before, of the of a shot of the Impala driving down the road, pre VFX and then post VFX, and I was like, really, you VFX that? I would really okay. And it was super subtle too, and that's what I thought was really interesting. But I, it was almost like, well, I didn't think you would need the effects, but then you put in the effects and you made the shot so pretty. Okay, I get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said. Obviously, the fire was VFX. It was very obviously VFX, but I still think it was really well done. But I'd be interested to see exactly how much was VFX for it to be more than the entirety of a season. Um, we still have some time left, so it's on the short side, about 20 minutes. Uh, anything else about the episode? Have we covered everything? Uh, Any other? Oh, real quick, because I thought of it, because I thought it was actually pretty cool. The, mm-hmm. And it is, and speaking of VFX, the water into blood thing. Oh, that was mm-hmm. good. That was good. Yes. That was that was that was pretty seamless. Again, obviously VFX, duh, but very seamless. I don't remember. I was thinking it, it could have it could have very well been practical. I don't think so. The way it the way it looked, it looked quite it looked generated. But again, well done. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of remember the first Leviathan episode where it's going through the water and the little girl tips it through mm-hmm. the um and Guy was on our podcast for that when he was telling us that it was um chocolate. And yep, chocolate frosting, yeah. right? Like watered yep, yep. down frosting or something. Yep. Yeah. And he tried it first. <laughs> so she right, was a little right. girl would know it was okay. <laughs> I was like, Okay, now I want a chocolate frosting water fountain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
that would be my kind of water phone. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate fountains are the grossest thing ever, but whatever. <laughs> Oh, you and your weird taste. Oh, right. No, no, no. <laughs> Chocolate. It's twofold. Ah. It's twofold. Let me explain. One, yes, I'm allergic to chocolate, and I don't quite, I don't actually like it all that much anyway. It's not a tough allergy for me to deal with. Um, but also, anybody who ever watched the show, uh, The New Adventures of Old Christine, there's a line by Christine's best friend, who's Barb, and she says, I want to get to the chocolate fountain before it starts to taste like fingers. As that line was so gross to me that any time someone mentions a chocolate fountain or I see one somewhere, it's just this knee-jerk gag that I have. Like, oh. Because, oh. yeah. So all you people who like chocolate, think about that. Enjoy. <laughs> no. Well, I don't get all my chocolate from chocolate fountains. So. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yes, I always thought that that line was super gross. I want to get to it before it starts to taste like fingers. So yeah, I think we have covered the episode. Yep. Yep. And be back next um, year and hopefully we'll understand this promo that we just saw because I don't. <laughs> that was yes. the craziest promo ever, and there's been some crazy promos. Oh, it hit my yes. secondhand embarrassment so hard. So hard. Oh, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't embarrassed. I'm just like, what in the heck is going on? I know. What the, what the hell? I, should, I just don't feel like should just, no, no, just, oh, God. <laughs> please have a valid reason. for. Also, please have it for anybody who didn't see the promo, stop listening right now. They better explain where we're going to have Christmas in January because I, that also just. Maybe it's just a weird I, mix of, of Christmas and, and the episode and that they're not really to do with anything, I hope. I, I'm wondering, you know, it's obviously, you know, some fantasy dream thing, of course. But I'm really um, curious if it's maybe going to be a thing where they show a bunch of different special days, you know, for some reason. And because this is Christmas, they just showed the Christmas one right now. Well, that's, the, that's honestly the least of my issue with that promo. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but we will discuss that and after the episode airing January 20th, 2016. Oh, and um, if you're listening, our website has been down for a while while we've been updating our server and everything. We're presently getting it ready to reopen, hopefully this weekend. Mm -hmm. So with a brand-new website, brand-new look, we're very excited to show it to you. Yes, because yes, it's everyone's really gonna cool. like it. Yeah, it is super, super awesome. And, yep, last podcast. Um Thanks, everybody, to be listening to us, uh, all our podcasts in 2015. We wish you the happiest of holidays, whichever one you are celebrating this time of year. Um, sometimes they're not so fun for people, so we also wish you uh, peace in this, uh, in this time and always keep fighting, get through it uh, as well, because we know it's not always easy at this time of year for people. 
Um, I think that's I think that's it. Thanks for listening to us. Um, we'll see you in January again after the January twentieth episode. Um, any other notes or news or anything? Mm, I don't believe so. Can't think of anything. Should be a nice, okay. quiet hiatus. So I guess we'll have the boys play us out for the last time in 2015. Yep. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Happy holidays. Hey, I'm Jared Padalecki. And this is Jensen Ackles. Bye. And you're listening to Winchester Radio.